Hang with me just a second. Yeah. Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge is one-year Christian discipleship ministry that touches the lives of those who have life-controlling problems, especially drugs and alcohol. In our um, Lincoln Center, we have an embroidery shop, and I may have given you one of these last time. If I did, trade it out with whatever you would like out there. But it says, Pastor, we want everybody to know who you are and, uh, and what you are. And last night, Pastor Eddie called and wanted to know if I wanted a room down here to stay last night. We just drove on down from Montgomery. But uh, I just had to ask him how his sorry son-in-law was doing. And, uh, of course, he knew who it immediately. I knew which one he was Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you, you, you just can't let sons-in-law know that you love them. I mean, you, you just got to keep them on their toes. And so, but, but these two guys are two of my favorite preachers in all of Alabama. And, I, and you are very blessed of God to have them serving here. Pastor Corey, uh, I want to give you one as well. And I'm going to give you one last time as well. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us today. It's a joy to uh, be here. We believe that God has the answer to those who are addicted with anything. Amen. It doesn't matter whether it is a lifestyle that is not scriptural or if it is a habit that they have. We believe that if we can give them the word of God and get them saved, then the power of God will begin to move in their lives and they will begin to hear the word of the Lord, adhere to the word of the Lord, and then they will move on up in everything else God has for them. And I'm happy to report that more than 50% of those who are students at Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge today are baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So we believe that God just carries them right on through and empowers them to be able to leave and, and, and have a successful, fruitful life. Amen. After David Wilkerson wrote the book, uh, The Cross and Switchblade, he wrote another one, 12 Angels or 10 Angels, 12 Angels from Hell, I think it was, was titled. One of the men was named Israel. He was a black gentleman in New York City. And he went down into the chapel, why he chose to go to the chapel to shoot up. I don't know. But he injected that heroin into his veins and nothing happened. And he became so fearful and under such great conviction that he repented of what he was doing and never touched it again. God knows what he's doing. Outside, there are some condensed versions of the cross and switchblade. Pick one of these up if, uh, if you would like. We'd be more than happy to just give that to you as a, uh, as a thank you for allowing us to be here today and for your commitment to us. And then we have some bookmarkers out there and put this in your Bible. Pick one of these up as, if you will and remember to pray for us when you open up the word of God. And then we have some hats out there. They are donation only. But we started something this year. Every 
every graduate of Alabama Adult and Teen Challenge, male or female, will receive a fire bottle at their true graduation. We started something some years ago to, to help our students continue on in the things of God. So for six months after they leave the residence, they have to name a life coach in a church where they are going to attend and become a worker in. They have to have a home plan, a job plan, and a church plan, or they can't graduate. And they have to have a life coach that will give us reports of how they're doing over those next six months, and we tie a thousand bucks to this just to give them some incentive to do this. But then after they have completed the six months, we will send them the fire Bible, and they can continue on in their successful walk with the Lord because God has the answer. He is the solution. As Brother Eddie said, I can give you all kinds of illustrations of what God is doing. One of our graduates that uh, used to be the program director at the Baymanet Center is now pastoring a church in Rainbow City. He has been out and cleaned for over 25 years, and he wasn't only a user, but he was a pusher in the Peninsula of Florida area. So God is still on the throne. One of his students is now directing the, uh, the center there in Baymanet. Another one of his former students is directing the, uh, the Selma Center, and now he has left us and gone to pastor, and the director that succeeded him is a graduate under him of the Lincoln Center. So God just keeps blessing. Out of the 37 employees we have spread across the state of Alabama, more than 30 of them are graduates of Teen Challenge. 29 of them... <clears throat> 29 are from Alabama Teen Challenge, and we've got one foreigner from Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> but God just keeps blessing and doing great things and touching lives, and we've got a couple of guys here with us, and I would like for them to come and give their testimonies, and then I want to share with you from the Word of God from John's Gospel, Chapter 4, beginning to read with verse number 39. Hey, my name is Luke. I'm from Shelby County. I'm 36 years old. Um, I used to be an addict, a, um, a liar, a thief, a lot of things. And uh, I was in a house fire uh, a couple of years ago. That's when I got all my scars on me. And God, he gave me another chance. Um, it was supposed to take in my life, but it didn't. And um, I had a chance to go to Alabama Adult Team Challenge. And... Um, it has, I lost my kids and everything, but now I have, God, Teen Challenge has gave me the opportunity to have a relationship with God, and as I got that relationship, He has restored my relationship with my kids, my family, and relationships with family that I didn't even know I had, and uh, along with a lot more things that he has put in my life that I'm absolutely grateful for. I knew God before I come to Teen Challenge, but Teen Challenge gives you the opportunity to find and have that relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and I'm so thankful for Alabama Adult Teen Challenge, and I praise God for what He has done in my life. Hello, <laughs> I'm nervous. <clears throat> um, I'm sitting there praying on uh, how I was going to, I guess you can say, uh, interact with y'all on my part. Uh, I guess it's like that question they asked you, what do you want to hear first, the bad or the good? I guess the bad turned out for the good because uh, all the things I've been through in life with generational curses, I've been incarcerated from the age of 18 to 42, and I still got 20 years hanging over my head, but that ain't the issue. That ain't what I'm worried about. I've been uh, restored. I got my high school diploma. Since I've been in Dope Team Challenge, I got this information uh, Friday. So there's two accomplishments. I'm working on the third. Uh, I've also been restored from my mental health issues. I don't take no mental health meds no more. Um, my family's been restored somewhat, but my daughter ain't in prison no more. And my granddaughter, she's with her. So all that worked out for the best. And then uh, the best part of it is that uh, I get to come along with him. <laughs> and uh, I thank y'all. I never know who's going with me, and uh, when they get in the car, it's sort of like the first time a guy was sitting right behind me, and he said, I've, I've got to go to rest to him. I said, I didn't know I had some sissies going with me today, and I had no idea. He had just got out of prison <laughs> for several times. I was so glad he didn't have a long knife to stick through that, uh, that seat. But we have another fellow that's now associate pastor of a church in uh, Columbus, Mississippi, and he has been certified insane twice in his life, and now he's preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what God can do. The other day, I listened to a young preacher who said that the fellow who shot up the chief's parade after the Super Bowl was not himself. And I have to differ with himself, with him, because we are ourselves. We are ourselves under influence, good or bad. You and I can determine whether we're going to hear the voice of God or we're going to act upon the voice of the enemy who is against our lives. When I was young and before it became politically incorrect, cartoons had little kids with the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, each whispering in a different ear, and the child had the opportunity to make a decision of how he or she was going to go. That's exactly what we have every morning when we wake up. Every day of our lives, we decide whether we are going to be good or we're going to be bad. Are we going to follow God or are we going to follow the devil? Are we going to heaven or are we going to hell? Jesus, on one occasion, goes into Samaria, sits down at the well of Jacob and Sychar in the heat of the day. 
and a woman of ill repute comes out to him and he engages her in a conversation. This conversation continues on until she leaves and comes back again with men of the city. And we come to that point in verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman who testified. He told me all things that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own words, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Verse number 35, say not ye there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto Jesus comes into Samaria and finds a lady who is coming out in the heat of the day because she has been ostracized by the society of that place, and Jesus encounters her. She's an outcast. She's not one of the favored sons or daughters of the city. She has a life that is displeasing to the community. But here she encounters the Jesus, who, by the way, shouldn't even be at the well of Sychar. Any self-respecting Jew leaving Galilee and going to Judea or vice versa would have crossed the Jordan River and gone down the other side and recrossed to get to their destination. But verse number four of the fourth chapter says, he must needs go through Samaria. There was a divine appointment. He was there to meet this one individual in whom he would invest a conversation. She was unholy. A lot of people today are using her example as an excuse so they can divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry or maybe not even marry at all but live together. But that's not what Jesus did. He saw her as she was, knowing when he got there what she was, but was willing to engage her in conversation. He wanted her to know who he was and what he was all about. So you look at the woman and you ask yourselves, why would Jesus in the heat of the day, while the disciples were gone into town to buy food and come back, engaged such a woman who had five former husbands and living with a man who was not her husband, but Jesus, didn't look at the individual and their lifestyle. He looked at the individual and their possible future. 
T.H. Spence, former district superintendent of the Alabama District Council of the Assemblies of God, made this statement, and I will never forget it, and this is verbatim. The Assemblies of God would be the largest organization in the world if we would quit culling people like we call fruit. Today, we look at individuals and we judge them because of what they are. Jesus looks at them and judges them for what they can become. You and I can present the gospel to them and they can be changed just like the woman who is at the well. Although she is of ill repute, although she has sin in her life, although she doesn't know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, Jesus engages her in conversation and then enlightens her by his ability to touch her life. And she leaves her water pot. After Jesus has said to her, give me a drink of water. And she replied, you a Jew asked me for a drink of water. He said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink of water, you would ask of him for water and he would give it to you and you would never thirst again. And somewhere it clicked. And the word of God penetrated her heart. The grace of God was given unto her and she became enlightened and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She left her water pots, went into the city and found some men and began to tell them, come and see a man who has told me all things, has revealed unto me all that is within my life. If an individual comes into this house and sits under the anointing of God and the power of God begins to move that individual is going to be convicted of what they are so they can become what Jesus intends for them to be. I can remember the night that I sat in church and I listened to a preacher preach the word of the Lord. The conviction came upon me and I got up out of my seat and I went down to the altar to be changed by the power of God. The blood of Jesus Christ separating me from sinful man into a right relationship with God. And so upon this enlightenment, she went into the city and she began to give her testimony of what God had done in her life. She became enlisted in the kingdom's work. Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord the harvest will send forth laborers. Now that was the only prayer request Jesus ever made, but it was a prayer request that moved upon every life that began to pray the prayer. God send forth laborers because Jesus realized that if we would begin praying for laborers, we would become one ourselves. And we would begin to do the work of the ministry. The disciples came back and found Jesus talking to this woman and to these men out who had come from the city. And they began to question within themselves, but would not ask Jesus. And Jesus said, 
the laborers are few. Now I could go with you all the way through the Gospels into the book of Acts and you would see very quickly the disciples did not take hold of the example of Jesus. I must needs go through Samaria. He was giving them the example that when he was gone, that was where they were also to include their ministry. But when you come to the ascension of Jesus on the Mount of Olivet, while the angels are there and Jesus is taken up, Jesus declares unto him that they will receive power to become witnesses when the Holy Ghost comes upon their lives. And he begins to tell them of the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God. And he, he is taken up. The angels say, why do you stand here gazing into the heavens? The same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come again and like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. But go. Go, for Jesus had declared, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he shall make you witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, yeah, right. and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The sad part is it was a deacon who took the message first after the ascension to the Samaria. Somewhere along the line, we can miss the opportunity to speak to the very individual God has put in our face so that we can share the word of the Lord. Sometimes we neglect to do what God wants us to do because we've already judged what can happen. But we do not believe in the supernatural if we think there is anything too hard for God, including saving the vilest sinner from their sins. I was watching some television program, and Matthew Barnett, Tommy Barnett, who pastors First Assembly in Phoenix, Arizona. Matthew Barnett pastors a a dream center in Los Angeles. It's a multi-story hospital that closed and every floor has a different language and it's packed floor after floor after floor. And somebody said, Matthew, what causes your church to grow? And this is a quote. We go after those nobody else wants. God help us reach down to the vilest of sinners and tell them of the grace and the mercy and goodness of God and allow them to catch hold by faith that which Jesus has done in their lives and can do in their lives. Now, Matthew got this from Tommy. Tommy has in his church a section that is reserved for the homeless. And he doesn't go out and get them in their rags and their un washed bodies and their matted hair. He brings them in on Sunday mornings and feeds them a hot breakfast, gives them a place to shower and change into new clothes so they're not obvious to the crowd. And they sit down and he preaches to them the word 
of the Lord. No wonder his church exceeds 10,000 in attendance. He also has in that same church a reserve section for AIDS patients. Nobody knows where they are and who they are. But as a result of his reaching the down and outers, God brings it into the house of God the up-and-comers that can foot the bill for his habit of reaching those who nobody else wants. As I was pastoring my last two churches, God dropped into my heart a, a desire and my prayer was, God, let me, before I die, pastor a true Pentecostal church. To which he replied, if you're going to pastor a Pentecostal church, you got to be a Pentecostal preacher. And so I began honing my life, waiting on him to open the door. And as I began to look around, I, I saw the opportunities of touching individuals' lives and ministering to the needs of the city. And in Selma, there was no shortage of poverty. And so I was entering into all kinds of ministry. And then God dropped another prayer into my heart. Lord, let me pastor a church that has the wealthy and the impoverished in the same service, sitting side by side, and when they're worshiping God, you don't know one from the other. I'll never forget when a guy got up on Sunday morning to sing a solo, and he said, have you looked at our parking lot lately? It's full of Jaguars and Lincolns and Cadillacs. Because God began bringing people in to support our habit of giving everything away simply because we see someone who is in need. Our hearts should be filled with the compassion of God. But the problem is we don't understand the definition of compassion. Compassion says, I feel sorry for you. What can I do to help? Now, that's God's way of looking at things. But our way of looking at things is with pity, which says basically the same thing, only leaving off the, la the ladder. It simply says in pity, I feel sorry for you. So we look in the world and we see the individuals who are in need and we want to touch their lives and we want to minister to them only because God wants us desires of us and commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody, not just those who can look good and give well or who are the most educated, but those who he wants to come in to the kingdom of God. You see, guys come in to our ministry. They come with all their flaws, all their problems, all their situations. They're in the former imprisonment, and some of them come 
from Mobile County Jail in handcuffs being brought by social workers and police officers and Mobile deputies into our centers. I was telling the guys on the way down here how one day I was preaching here in, in, in uh, Baldwin County and, and I had a guy from, from Ohio, had, had absolutely no idea that he was a fugitive from justice. And we were harboring him and did for a year. And we were teaching church services and I said, why don't you go out and, 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 and get in the Gulf? And I'll never forget the guy from Ohio, the big guy, screaming, Brother Ed, this water's salty. <laughs> Had no idea. Years passed. I was interim director at the time, back around 2015. When the phone rang at one of our centers, it was a newsman from one of the major news networks wanting to know where this man is. And he began to tell the story that when he left our program, went back to Ohio, he didn't turn himself in, and today he's one of the ten most wanted by the FBI in America. We never know who's going to walk in the door. All we know is that God has the answer. For you see, the clincher to all of this is the fourth verse. Jesus must, needs, go through Samaria. And the question that resonates in my mind is where and to whom is he directing you? It could be a neighbor, a co-worker, a family member, close or distant. It could be someone who, could, who, who they consider you to be their enemy, but God is waiting on you to say, God, send me wherever you want me to go, to whomever. You want me to minister. Mm -hmm. For the commission is that we go into all the world and teach and go into all the world and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was pastoring in Selma, they asked me to be chaplain of the Dallas County Association for Retarded Citizens. They opened up a group home for ladies, and they asked me to pray the dedicatory prayer. And then they asked me if these wonderful ladies could attend our church. And it was a hoot. But I never gave an altar call that somebody didn't come because they would come. But I'll never forget a lady that I only knew as Cherokee, whether her name or not, I have no idea. But as I would walk in to the sanctuary, 
she would stand up and yell across the way, Brother Wilson, sing a drink of the water. And I would go to the pulpit. And I would sing, and Cherokee would sing with me. If you're thirsty and dry, look up to the sky. You and I have the water of life. And it's time we began to give it out to those who are like we once were, lost and in need of Jesus. Because I can tell you for a matter of fact, it's beginning to rain. Hear the voice of the Father saying, Whosoever will come drink of this water, if you're thirsty and dry, look up to the sky. It's beginning to rain. Would you stand together with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to see people changed by the power of God, to have their lives ministered to by your divine grace. For, Lord, if it were not for you, we would be of all men most miserable. But we are today, we are today what you have made us, and we want to be better than when we came into the house this morning. So change our lives. Minister to us. Help us know to whom we should go and how we should present the gospel. To those you want us to witness to. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you came into the room today without Jesus, let me tell you, you'll never find anyone who will love you like he loves you. If you came into the room with a life that's wrecked by problems and situations and circumstances beyond human means and control. He's the divine power that can change and alter every circumstance and situation. But if you came into the room today burdened for the lost, the woman at the well, ill repute the addict the one who profanes God and their language just isn't what it should be while in district office we interviewed a man and his wife his wife had gone to a softball game, church softball game, that the husband wanted to play in, but the husband wasn't a Christian, nor was she. And she sat in the bleachers. And everybody moved away from her because of her vocabulary. But she had no idea the words she was speaking 
and would profane because that's what her family did. We're products of our environment, but that can change when our environment changes of the spiritual. So whether you're lost or whether you have problems that you want someone to help you pray with or if you've got someone on your heart that you want to see saved and you want to be instrumental in helping them come to know Him, I just want you to slip out from where you are and come and stand here in the front so we can pray together. So we can pray together.